millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Curzon Film Podcast. This week we'll be speaking to writer and director Haifa Al-Mansur about her sophomore film, Mary Shelley, a biopic of the Frankenstein author starring Elle Fanning in the titular role. Uh, so this film is romantic with a capital R, so I'm just going to try and work out which which romantic writer you guys uh, connect yourselves with the most. Well, we'll start with you, Amy, who's frantically Googling on her phone. <laughs> Amy Watts is joining us this week. Hi, Amy, I'm which, not which Googling, ro- FYI, I'm just getting notes in. Okay. Um, which romantic writer? Romantic writer? Yeah. I'm, I think maybe you're... I don't really read a lot of romance. Mm, Who wrote the no, notebook? We're talking about like romantic with an R, like the romantic era. Yeah, okay, the romantic... Uh, what about um, the just... poet... What's her name? Elizabeth Browning? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I have to get that out. <laughs> I like uh, Robert Browning, who I think... Oh, sorry, Keats. Yeah, Keats. Oh, Keats. Keats. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're going to yeah. go in Keats? I'm going Keats. Stephen Ryder uh, is also here. I'd have put you for Keats. You, Me? You seem like a, a proper romantic at I, heart. I feel like a Byron. You feel like a Byron? Yeah, I feel like yeah. a Byron. But thank you, Sam, for the compliment. That's all right. And Kelly Powell is also here. I think I'm also Byron. No, you can't have Byron. <laughs> Do you like the outside? So I walk, going for long walks in the countryside? Yes. Okay, Wordsworth. Okay. <laughs> Let's go with that. <laughs> and you, Sam? Yeah. Well, this is a podcast. It's not a visual medium. But I will say that if you want to know what I look like, just Google Lord Byron. Because I do look exactly like a certain oil painting of Lord Byron. It's the... Slightly. So I, I was in English literature A-level. And in this classroom, there were portraits all around the room of like different authors. And there was a Lord Byron one, and my teacher suddenly stopped the class to point it out to everyone that I looked like Lord Byron. Wow. So it's not a new thing. No, no, no. This has been going on for years. <laughs> years. And she, this is Miss, Miss Rendell, and she would continue to call me Byron throughout the remainder of my years at that school. Amazing. Morning, Plus... Byron. <laughs> <laughs> so British. Uh, so, as ever, please email us if you have any thoughts on the films that we discuss on the show and we'll read them out during the podcast. You can contact us, podcast at curzon.com or check our Twitter at Curzon Cinemas for our reply call-outs. So, Mary Shelley is the biopic of the Frankenstein author Mary Shelley, played here by Elle Fanning. Uh, the film was written by Emma Jensen and directed by Haifa Al-Mansur. This is a follow-up to Wajda, which was a huge success, uh, in, like, critically speaking. 
and she was the first Saudi Arabian woman to direct a film. But before we get into that, I just want to ask you guys, have you all read Frankenstein? What did you know about Mary Shelley before you saw the film? I shamefully have not read it, but Same. now I desperately do, and her other novels as well. Uh, I actually have read Frankenstein, and um, but I knew nothing about Mary Shelley. Uh, so for me, Frankenstein was always just kind of a cornerstone of horror literature in the same way that something like Dracula was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it never really... Because I, I read it at quite a young age, I don't think it ever really clicked with me that, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about an author who was 18 when she wrote this mm. and talking about a, a woman as well who probably, at the time, was kind of looked down, at, down upon for writing such a kind of piece of gothic... Um, literature so it's nice to be able to come and look at something that's kind of been such a bedrock of culture and of horror culture mm-hmm. and of literature and kind of look at its genesis and its beginnings because it does kind of put a whole new perspective on the book Excellent. I read mm. it at uni as part of my degree and I wrote an essay on it uh, mm. part of the film degree no, because I did film and English lit Ah, okay. this is part of the English lit side of things very nice so what was how your... do you feel about it? of the book? yeah I think it's great. I think it's because uh, I did it. The course, the module was romanticism because the film is like littered with all these like famous names and mm-hmm. like people just crop up and they mention like Coleridge is taking them on a walk. Mm-hmm. Um, Polidori's there and Byron's there. Uh, so I read it in concert with all these other writers. There's a lot to dig into in this film. When you're an English student and you just find anything to pick apart and mm. think, great, that's my angle. And there's a lot going on in this book. And as you say, it's incredible that she was 18 when she wrote it. Yeah, it seems as though, like, thinking about it now, looking if we if we were to look back at this film in, in 10, 15, 20 years' time, it probably is a very useful film for kind of literature students at a young age that's to watch. That's what I thought was mm. the yeah. best thing about it. For especially, like, 15-year-old girls, I think she'd be quite a... A good introduction to feminism as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's we very rarely get kind of biopics about authors that really dig into why they made a work, mm. why where that kind of um, work comes from, from them personally. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I hadn't thought about that until you just mentioned uh, kind of English literature class. Yeah. But, yeah, I, th- I can see people looking back at this film when they when they study Frankenstein, which will be studied, I think, and for it's, a long time to come made a bit family friendly isn't it like the sex scenes aren't very explicit Mm -hmm. so I felt that the audience was quite a lot teenage girls yeah so that's of this film yeah yeah Yeah, so that's what I was saying to Stephen earlier that it did kind of feel a little bit like a teen drama Mm. because I guess they were all that kind of age Um, and I did, did, did think about you know what kind of audience she was appealing to I thought it was a good sort of way to access uh, her story and those kinds of yeah, definitely. ideas. Okay, so without further ado then, let's have uh, this week's interview. Uh, Haifa Al-Mansur uh, came to London a few weeks ago and I had the pleasure to speak to her. Okay, we're delighted to welcome to the Curzon podcast Haifa Al-Mansur. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Uh, so we're here to talk about Mary Shelley, mm-hmm. uh, which is your second feature film. Now I imagine after the the, the success and the acclaim after um, Wajda, that there were many different directions you could go to, uh, many different projects you could get off the ground. So why is it Mary Shelley that is your is your second film? I really wanted to um, to break into a bigger world, and mm. I wanted to make an English film, and I got a lot of scripts, but I did not connect with them. Okay. And and when they sent me this script, I really I was also surprised, and it's like it's yeah. a Mary Shelley like a period. So. And then when I did it, it was amazing to see how much she accomplished in a place where women expected not expected to accomplish much yeah. it is it is a period of time like where 
um, she she was even dismissed when she wrote something that is unfamiliar, and yeah. they didn't want her name to be on it, and um, uh, and wanted Percy Shelley to write the introduction. Right. So I really felt like um, I knew how much it hurts when you are dismissed creatively, and I really sympathized with her journey, and I really wanted to tell that story. I felt like it's important for us women mm-hmm. to claim Mary Shelley and put her into the spotlight because that that gives us legacy yeah. and allows us to um, to be strong if someone is doubting our success we can say we have people like Mary yeah. Shelley who create who people who been doubted before and look what happened yeah um, Mary Shelley is perhaps one of the most famous writers of all time so what is it you wanted to convey about her for this film to people that already know her? And what kind of, because what kind of character did you want her to be within the film as well? Um, I wanted, like, for Mary Shelley is very well known, but the yeah. monster is way more well yeah, known. Yeah, yeah. Like, it is very present in pop culture and cartoon and films yeah. and... And I wanted to claim that monster. That is, it's a that production is a lot of people describe that book as um, Frankenstein as a masculine piece of work, Mm. and um, and it is. uh, We wanted to to say no. It is not. uh, It is masculine because it's brave, because it conquers the new frontiers, because it's not like anybody anything else. All these attributes usually are not given to women, but I wanted to give something. more it is everything happened and and all the themes in the book are direct relationship with what happened to her as a woman like the loss of a child being obsessed with death and giving birth because she had the burden of of her mom mother's death and having losing a lot of children and um, and the exhausting relationship with her husband all these things are important um and 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 the and the creating the themes and creating the book and they are all all a result of a woman's life yeah. and her suffering. So um, that is that was very important to show for me in the film. Okay. And why did you then pick Elle Fanning to be the one who brings that to us? I was fascinated with Elle since Super 8 and, yeah. and um, her, her ability to bring a lot of elegance to the roles she plays, even as a kid. Right. And then when they brought me the script, I really and they gave me list of actresses and all that who are in the same yeah. age, and I really I felt like she is the best person to embody that, because she has this um, um, elegance and effortlessness, mm. and this role could tip into being a little bit more um, de- melodramatic because of the death of a child and all the relationship, yeah. and and you wanted someone who has this uh, kind of effortlessness and um, can elevate the role and bring a cinematic feel to it. And Elle was the perfect, also because of her age, and, and we wanted to shock people how mm. young Mary Shelley was yeah. when she wrote the book, and it's exactly the same age. Elle was 18. Oh, okay. She just turned 18 right. on, during filming. And, um, and Mary Shelley was 17 when she wrote the book. Wow, okay. And so you were sent the script, uh, which was written by uh, Emma Jensen, and, but you're credited as a co-writer. Can I just mm. ask what was it that you either changed as the script or what is what you brought to the script? Um, I, I did a lot of like the third act when she goes to the publisher right. and she gets dismissed and okay. I felt it's very important to put that in the story. Yeah. I also felt the relationship between Mary and Claire should should come into the two sisters should not be about jealousy and like fighting over men and all that. Yeah. I think it is a bigger gender of two girls escaping a world and finding oh, both of them um, 
understanding the journey of a woman at the time. And yeah. that is why I wrote that scene when okay. she, when Claire, I don't want to spoil it for your, <laughs> for your people, but like when the, 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 there was a very moving scene. Yes. I feel it's moving because I wrote it, but towards the end when um, between Claire and Mary. And I think, um, I thought it's very important. And also there's a church scene. Mm. I wrote that because I feel it's very important to question paradigms for writers right. like Percy and Mary Shelley if they will bring something that is important. And I feel it's, it is the creative process needs a free mind, and mm. that is and and be, having that free mind, you need to go into questioning paradigms at the time. And, yeah. and that is hence that is why the church scene. Okay, and you've spoken a fair amount actually about um, Mary Shelley as being a writer when it wasn't perhaps so common for women to write these kinds of stories. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, did you see this kind of parallel between yourself trying to make films in Saudi Arabia and Mary Shelley trying to publish Frankenstein in these, these cultures that didn't necessarily have women doing these things? Absolutely. And that is one of the major things that I, I took that yeah. in, in telling Mary Shelley because I know how it hurt to be dismissed creatively. When I started making films in Saudi Arabia, people used to make fun of me because at the time, movies were illegal making mm. films. There, like cinema theaters were illegal and nobody makes films and there is no money in them. And and it hurts like when you are young and trying just to have a voice to be ridiculed in public too, like yeah. in magazines, like in newspapers, will say things. And um. And now it changed, and it is, um, and and it is now time to uh, celebrate people like Mary Shelley because it is, it is um, at the time maybe people dismissed her because of her gender and age, yeah. but that is the that is the product of that time. And now we are different. We appreciate women, and we want to give them that the recognition they need. And it's about time to give Mary Shelley her recognition. Yeah, and. Can you talk about some of your memories of uh, working on um, Wajda and under those kind of more constrained circumstances and the censorship in uh, Saudi Arabia at the time you're talking about when you were writing the film and then also comparing that to perhaps more of the freedom you had with Mary Shelley, like this very different sort of production uh, oh context. yeah, absolutely. I was very grateful to be not to be filming from a van <laughs> <laughs> in Saudi Arabia. Like it was segregated at the time when I filmed. Saudi Arabia changed a lot, though. Yeah. Now we have a film commission. There is a film fund, and um, they are they open movie theaters. So it is not the situation anymore. Right. I have to say, but it is it, at the time when I filmed. It was difficult, and it is um, so. Um, but I feel every this film has its own set of challenges. Like we, it was co-produced, so we had a lot of money coming yeah. from different countries, and we have to film all through across Europe. Mm, and um, we got a lot of money from Luxembourg, which don't, looks nothing like England, okay. even yeah. from a girl from Saudi Arabia. I could tell <laughs> that is not England. So um, uh, we filmed a lot of the exteriors yeah. out in Dublin, and we had to build a studio in, in Luxembourg. And literally, we'll take L. Uh, outside in Dublin, and mm. we finish the scene uh, entering the door in Dublin, and we finish the scene in <laughs> Luxembourg. So there is a lot of yeah. mm, visually visually cohesiveness that ha took place. And Packy Smith, our production designer, did an amazing job. And uh, and the weather was something really challenging. And I remember in the last scene when the two girls running and the in the um, Running under the the fake rain, it was like yeah. freezing, 
freezing um, cold and was, uh, we had like uh, heaters and people just waiting for them at the end of the scene just and we had to repeat three times I felt yeah. awful <laughs> having the girls <laughs> run through it again but it is uh, they they gave a great performance yeah absolutely and um, so it's been about five or six years since Wajda yes and you know as we record this now a few nights ago in the U- in London the um, there's a group called the Dispatch Feminist uh, Moving Image Collective they showed Wajda in a cinema so it's still people are still in love with the film and it's still is being screened and everything can you talk about the impact that's had not just in Saudi Arabia but also like in the world like people still really feel close to this film I think it's about a young girl questioning the system and having mm-hmm. her own, like trying to be happy. And that is a story you can, everybody, everybody yeah. can relate to. And it's a similar even with Mary Shelley. Like I, in general, I want, I find myself fascinated by strong women. Yeah. I really, um, it is in my DNA, I think, because I, from, because of where I come from, yeah. to tell stories about women who are not victims, women who are trying to succeed, and who women who succeed succeed and yeah. and being happy and creating things, and maybe the circumstances are not perfect for them, maybe things are hard and challenging, like like it it is very hard and challenging for a lot of women, but it's not excuse for us not to succeed. We should fight and we should always try to be, and that is the way we can pave the. Mm, pave the way for other, for a yeah. newer generation of women who want to do amazing and achieve a lot of stuff. Yeah, okay. And so even looking at the two films you've made and even in like the films that you have coming out that I don't know loads about because they're not out yet, but there's some information online, there is very much the young female voice being represented or like, as you say, not in perfect conditions, but trying to succeed. Um, can you talk about the how you saw the representation of women in film before you started directing and now after as a director? Absolutely. There is, especially in Hollywood now, and um, it is amazing to see how much uh, women, the, yeah. the Me Too and Time's Up um, movements have, have opened doors for women. And just like creating a safe place for women to yeah. work, not to be harassed, and to be able to feel um, uh, appreciated for their talent and hard work and and not to be dismissed. And yeah. um, I think it is really that we are in a feminist reawakening, I yeah. would say, in the world when it comes to women. So it is so much different than when I started working. But still, I think the image of women being in, in an authority figure, like a director, yeah. is, um, is still not there yet. Okay. Like, um, I just finished my third film for Netflix called Napoli Ever After, mm-hmm. and sometimes they will announce the directors on set, the director on set. Yeah. And I feel like really good. People are announcing my presence, <laughs> right? I was just like, oh, yeah. happy. And then when I go on set, people try to find where is the director, and I'm there. Mm. Because I don't feel the image of, um, of the director, yeah, the sure. typical image. So still, there is so much to do. There's so much work. But I think we are on the right direction. Okay. And do you think things like Netflix are allowing more of these kind of films to get made, of these smaller films or mm. films from people who we don't don't fit the typical image, of, like you say, the typical image of the director? Absolutely. But I think there is, it's on Netflix and other, like even yeah. the studio systems now, that right. we see a lot more like Wonder Woman was directed by a woman yes. and starring a woman and it was one of the highly grossing films of all yeah. times so it is like now changing like the female representation behind and in front of the camera has changed and equal pay for women has is, is now is now 
on the table. It is discussed and agents yeah. are fighting for their female clients. And so it is, it's changed a lot. And, um, and uh, it's just like there's so many mediums, like yeah. you said, now to present film, which is wonderful. But still, I think the big screen is in, has its yeah. charm and uh, we, we can't live without cinema yeah. in, in public. <laughs> And uh, my last question then, uh, so you mentioned that, you know, was it a 35 year ban in Saudi Arabia of yes. the exhibition? Mm-hmm. Um, have you shown Mary Shelley in Saudi Arabia yet? I think we will. Okay. Uh, it's just like, and it is, and, and didn't have its Middle East, yeah. Middle East premiere. But it's amazing to see Saudi Arabia just opening up. Yeah. And I just been appointed and by, by a royal decree yeah. <laughs> to oversee. Yeah, that is amazing <laughs> to oversee the development of art and cinema in Saudi Arabia. And it's wonderful to see to see a place like Saudi Arabia, who's traditionally very conservative and very militant, and people see themselves against the world, celebrating art now and enjoying music in the street. Yeah. And that will change um, the 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 mood in the Muslim yeah. world. And because Saudi Arabia sets it for the rest of the neighboring countries right, okay. and people look to Saudi Arabia of how to um, how to interpret religion for example so it is really uh, it is wonderful to see Saudi Arabia opening up and embracing modernity and becoming a normal place where women drive where women enjoy yeah. music when and everybody can go to the cinema so it is it is it's a it's a great change it's a it's a good it's it's a, it's a it's a reform that we all should be mm-hmm. behind because it's introducing art in a culture is that what it elevates it and makes it uh, more tolerant and more uh, accepting of others? Brilliant. Uh, Haifa Al Mansour, it's been a pleasure. Thank oh. you so much. Thank, Thank you so you. much for having me. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, so this is Haifa Almanser's follow-up to Wedgda. Amy, you're part of the team that screened Wedgda a few weeks ago. Yeah. As part of the Dispatch Feminist Moving Image Collective. Exactly. Yes. Well remembered, Sam. Uh, yeah, I think there are similarities in this because it follows like rebellious, a rebellious teenage girl going against the social norms of her society. And it seems like Al Mansur likes to show the world from the perspective of young girls. Mm. What did you guys think? Have you seen the? Have you seen Wajda? I saw Wajda when it first came out, and yeah, it's quite. It's 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 really nice and obvious how Al Mansur's career has gone so far, and clear. It's very clear what her kind of preconceptions are about film and what it should do, and I think that this is a very natural progression for her to make a film like this, although. It feels like it's very odd for her to to want to make a... um, You discussed this in the interview, for her to make kind of a film 
um, away from Saudi Arabia and England mm. as her second feature. Um, it's a big decision to make, I think. You know? Well, when you look at the content, it, it can make sense, you know, uh, who she's focusing on. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously um, it's clear that there are similarities that she kind of identifies with this, this person, Mary Shelley, who fought against you know, a male-dominated society and a woman who kind of was fearless in the sense that she was going to make art, the art she wanted to make no matter what. Um, And obviously she's done that uh, as the first actual filmmaker from Saudi Arabia, not even even female filmmaker. And the way that she's sort of changing culture and and the way film is being sort of received and seen in that country, I think, is quite pioneering in itself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that makes sense in that way. I think I think if you if you kind of flip the script uh, and what's kind of impressive about Mary Shelley, I think, is if you flip the script and you take a British director and tell them to go make their second feature a period piece in Saudi Arabia, I think they'd be lost. Um, And I know there's more of a kind of foundation to build on when you're talking about British period film rather than Saudi Arabian period film. But still, I think that kind of the having the ability to kind of just completely switch your location but still maintain your kind of core beliefs and your core kind of themes in your film is a very impressive thing to do I think for a filmmaker and a very brave thing to do as well. Well, she said that she identifies similarities in uh, this period in Britain and Saudi Arabia now, mm. the confinements women have. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting as well. Like not just from her, put, not just from why she decided, yeah, this, this this should be my next film, but why the producer ever thought this should be made by Haifa Al Mansur. Like, they saw something in Wajda, they thought this is perfect for this this story. Because mm. I'm surprised that there hasn't been a proper Mary Shelley biopic before. Yeah, because she's probably maybe apart from. J.K. Rowling, the most famous female author. Well, like, Jane world. Austen. Jane Austen. <laughs> uh, the I don't know. I just feel like you know, I think with Mary Shelley, maybe I don't know. Virginia Woolf. <laughs> I think I think that she's I think she's definitely a name that people know, despite yeah. the fact that kind of she only I mean she only had one major work. I think Mary Shelley. Well, fr- she's known for Frankenstein, but she did go on to write novels after, but they don't have as much um, <clears throat> resonance. I think, yes. I think it's because she kind of stands out because of what she wrote, you know, that it was just yeah. so not of, for, you know, appropriate for women to write that kind of story mm. at the time. I think that she's kind of an outlier in that way. Um, and I think that's why people, she's sort of well known for that. Yeah. I think I think that you mentioned Sam that there hasn't been a proper biopic made of her before, but I don't know if any of you guys have heard of Gothic, yeah. the film Gothic by Ken Russell, um, which I've seen. I saw on terrible, in terrible quality a few years ago, but it's literally a film that's set in in the one night at oh, okay. the house yeah. Yeah. where the two kind of books were written, and um, it's so so different from this film. Yeah, it's full of sex. It's full of horror imagery. Um, it's very kind of phantasmagorical because uh, that's the kind of director Russell is. Yeah. So I think that when people have approached this idea of Mary Shelley and her work before, they've really kind of gone with the Frankenstein imagery and like the the gothic imagery of mm. it. And I feel like Almansel hasn't done that. She's gone for something very different. She's this is a character driven film, um, yeah. and it's kind of very much based in reality. It's a period piece, but it's kind of realism at the same time. I think she could have been. Yeah, there could be lightning everywhere in the film, and Mary Shelley is this kind of. <laughs> weird goth character mm-hmm. this goth outsider there was yeah. a lightning scene there wasn't there one lightning yeah. scene yeah you're right I remember when that, <laughs> that happened I was like night. oh <laughs> okay. yeah yeah but yeah fascinating stuff also fascinating that it takes like an hour and a half for her to even start writing Frankenstein pretty much yeah it's when she goes to the the reanimation yeah. show yeah. but it's um, it's, an, it's a really interesting stage show 
for the period, I think. He uh, has a lot of electricity going on, a little frog with his legs bouncing up and down, kind of reanimated. It's it's really interesting, actually, that that's the time when she starts yeah. to get starts to think about science and yeah. and kind of uh, and monsters and things like that. Um, but it is an hour into the film, yeah. Yeah. So let's let's talk about Mary Shelley herself then. Um, first of all, how well is Elle Fanning cast as Mary Shelley? Do you guys think uh, interesting casting an American actress in the role? And then branching off from that, what kind of character is she? portrayed as and presented as compared to what you kind of knew about her before well I thought Elle Fanning did a good job in in um, mm-hmm. portraying the gumption of Mary Shelley and that she comes across uh, very determined and she's not afraid to challenge anyone um, she's surrounded by these sort of respected male poets and authors but she still gives her opinion I mean there's one scene where Byron says to her that she, he doesn't believe that women can mm-hmm be intellectual enough to form their own ideas and opinions and she's like the perfect antidote to that because she is full of fire. I mean, I think she might even say that, like I've got fire in my soul, Mm. I can't remember. Mm. So I think she played it well. I think she's a star. I mean, I love watching Elle Fanning. I really do. I think in anything... Stephen loves Elle Fanning. I think in in anything she's in, (laughs) she has this very kind of ethereal presence to her, which is why I think the, car- the the role of Mary Shelley is an odd one for her to choose mm. because this is a very kind of like, we, we get told everything about her life. There's not really any mystery left around Mary Shelley once this film is no. finished. She's not kind of um, situated as this kind of enigmatic figure. She's very much like somebody who's got needs and somebody who's got desires and you kind of are told very directly what they are. Um, and usually in, in, in her films, Elle plays like a very kind of dreamy, kind of mysterious young woman, um, like in uh, the- 20th century, no. Uh, maybe in 20th century women. She's a bit of like a like a dreamy girl in that, I think. <coughs> but like um, in- in Neon the Demon? Wine in Ref- yeah. Yeah, yeah, Neon Demon, she's a very mysterious character. In that. Yeah, and even the Beguiled as well, like she's not given, any, she's not given yeah. any backstory or anything like that character. She's just kind of thrown straight in with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's, a, it's a strange decision, but I think like, she's at a point in her career now as well where she has the star power to kind of lead a film mm. at oh, such a young age as yeah. well yeah and yeah. she's I think she's very very good in this I just think she's great to watch I think she's doing something in every scene she's in mm-hmm. um, but it is the scenes that you mentioned Amy where she kind of explodes into like a rage um, and a, a you know a deserved rage as well I think uh, where she really shines there's a great quote about her that her dad uses uh, you're, you're at war constantly with everyone and everything and enjoying all the battle Mm. Oh, I thought she he says that about her yeah, mother. The, the mother. Was that about the mother? I yeah, it was about, yeah. It was about the mother. But he did say that like he sees the <laughs> yeah. mother yeah. her definitely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's an interesting thing as well, this whole um the way her mother, Mary Wollstonecroft, is kind of not in the film at all, but very much in the film at the same time. Yeah. I mean Oh yeah. That was like a really exciting thing for me to watch. Like the <laughs> fact that she's almost like a ghost that from, Yeah. Like Mary Shelley's never actually met her mum. Mm-hmm. Um, but sh- you can tell that she looks up to her and carries her with her throughout the whole film. And well, she sees, I, I think that means that Mary Shelley sees the kind of effect that um, kind of strength and determination can have on the following generation. And that's what, you know, writing something like Frankenstein meant to her. Yeah. And that's mm. why she wanted her name on this work so much. She yeah. didn't want, well, I forget what she says to, to Percy. She says something like, um, 
you don't get it. You don't get the point. What's the point of me writing a story if my name isn't on it or something along those lines? I mean, I think she does say that yeah. to someone at some point. Yeah. What's the point of writing crazy, a novel yeah. if What's the point of writing a novel if you can't own the world? Something. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think is really, really important yeah. to the film. That this because a lot of things look at this story as this kind of very kind of. Um, intrinsic like thing like that is the story nothing else matters but the story but mary doesn't see it in that way this is her story and this is a story that she wants to tell and that's yeah. so important to her mm. and i think that comes from the fact that her mother had such an impact well on and life. her dad is a radical as well mm. i mean yeah. she's brought up in this liberal radical educated household so no wonder she is the same yeah mm. she, she had the belief that 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 she could be whatever she wanted to be um, and it was that sort of determination, I think, that because I, I can only imagine how difficult it must have been in that time to have these ideas and like yeah. want to live your life in that way and just be so utterly repressed. Yeah, yeah. In the society that's just like no. <laughs> yeah, she she says about her household being stifling, and I think that's how she found like the conventions of marriage and. And like I that. think that the the stepmother was sort of the epitome of, of all of those ideals for her, which mm. is why she felt sort of... Su she, she often said in the first, like, half an hour that she felt s suffocated, yeah. you know, like, yeah. And I think that was both you know, metaphorical. Mm. And, and it's interesting that they got Elle Fanning to play a role like that because maybe what they get from Elle Fanning is this kind of... this uh, a look that's very kind of weak in a way she's she's got a kind of very nervous looking angelic face. Look. yeah angelic and and kind of naive innocent yeah, yeah naive and innocent um but like when she clicks like she, there's a fire that comes up in her and she's able to kind of really look she she can in with the flip of a switch go from like you know naive and innocent to kind of like strong and uh, and someone you don't want to cross and i mm. think that's maybe something that is she's going to explore in her entire career she does the same thing in neon demon mm. she goes from being like a, a nervous new newcomer to 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 kind of the fashion scene to a uh kind of a demonic presence you yeah i don't love neon demon oh, actually okay. i think Sam, I sam's demon. the big yeah. I, I'm, I'm really ambivalent towards neon demon i think it's i got thought a lot it was really interesting anyway that's not yeah no it has got it has got a lot of problems but i think yeah, I think that's kind of a cornerstone at the moment for Elle Fanning's career, and I think that's why I keep yeah. coming back to it, because that was her first kind of really, really kind of adult role. Big mm. adult role, yeah. full-on lead in the film in yeah. every yeah. scene, almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think since then, despite the kind of mixed reviews of that film, she yeah. has people have noticed that she does have the star power, mm. and that's why things like um, Mary Shelley have, have come about. Yeah. And the rest of the cast then, so you've mentioned Percy Shelley, played by Douglas Booth, who's very much known for being in these kind of costume dramas. Uh, he's a more complex character than I remember like hearing about him, because at uni we did study Shelley a bit, Percy Shelley, and you learn a few things about him, but I didn't know he was this kind of complicated and had these like varying conflicting views and political opinions. And How accurate is Percy's story, do you, do you know? Because I felt like he was kind of the antagonist of the film. Well, he doesn't come across well. I mean, doing some research after, it does come across that he basically went and off and had all these flings with women while uh, Mary Shelley was dealing with depression from the multiple uh, deaths. deaths of her children. But yeah, I, I felt like he could have been portrayed a bit more complex. I don't know, I just felt like he, he was the bad guy. He probably had a huge influence on the work, right? Oh no, of course. Yeah, like, like the actual physical yeah. writing of it. Oh no, it, I I'm not sure about that. But well, like, that's what's debated. I mean, yeah. obviously he was a like 
inspiration almost for. Mm. Well, she was an inspiration for him too. Mm. Like that's the yeah. thing. Like yeah. <laughs> you know, she a lot of the work, the romantic kind of poetry that he was writing at the time was inspired by Mary. I think by Mary and by Claire as well. Yeah. yeah, and so and Jane later on. There was yeah. a Jane that you know she, he stopped writing about Mary, and moved on to Jane. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a very established kind of uh, artist at the time, and yeah. she was not. So. Mm. It, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he did as much as he could to help her get her work published. However, I think that she most likely wrote every last word of it. Yeah, some researchers think he like almost co-wrote it. Some say he just kind of basically basically was an editor. Yeah, a bit like a publisher would. Yeah, hmm. like literally helped her with like helped out with like the grammar and change a certain word here and there. But yeah. all the story, all the dialogue, the dialogue, all of that, the everything, you know, the words was her. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it has to be that way. He is a relatively complex character in this film, I think. I think he has a very weird thought process about what marriage and love should be. Yeah. And there's that very interesting scene where he says to her, you can basically sleep with whoever you want. It doesn't bother me. And he thinks he's being like a hero there. He thinks he's being a good guy, saying like, I, don't, I, I will love you no matter who you sleep with. And she's saying, hold on a moment. Like, that's not what I want. Is like, that yeah. how you read that scene? I was like... <laughs> yeah, that's what <laughs> he's he... He's basically just saying that so that he can have the yeah. same liberty. Yeah. Exactly. Well, because they're both meant to believe in free love, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But maybe practicing it for Mary isn't as... But, yeah. but I think that's actually the Elle Fanning's best scene in the film, which he says, I will fight for anybody's right to, to, to live how they mm. want to live, but, but I also will fight for my truth. And yeah. I think that's really, really powerful. And kind of prescient for today as well oh, of I course think. like that mm. just because you fight for somebody's cause doesn't mean that you want to live that kind of truth yourself yeah exactly mm. it's a really important kind of message i think that the film wants to get across definitely yeah so let's well um we'll just talk about how the film kind of escapes being this stuffy period drama with these modern, modern themes and that's a big one like you're talking about there mm. and i think that's the key, one of the key lines of the film because at the moment everyone's like you're, you're either this or that you are on this side of the fence or that side of the fence and mm-hmm. If you're on that side of the fence, you take in everything that's on that side of it. And you, there's no picking and choosing. If you believe in this person or this thing, then you believe in everything that thing stands for. Yeah. Whereas this film actually has a bit more of a mature response to things like that. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think that that's true. The film, especially their relationship, I think that I was actually really surprised by how liberal the characters of Mary and Percy and Byron are at this point in time I kind of it really exposes how uh, how the romantics mm. and the poets at the time were so kind of sexually liberated mm. and kind of politically liberated as well that really surprised me rebels of their times very much so right? yeah like very which much which so. is uh, well I read a I read a quote this morning um, that uh, Almanso said to the Irish Times and um, I think that her whole point of focusing on Shelley and why she thinks she's an important writer was because that she was dealing with content that wasn't for a woman of the time, quote unquote, um, and her own standing in, in, you know, film in Saudi Arabia. She said that um, uh, women now can be rebels and still succeed, you know, and that's why like Mary Shelley in the time that she sort of was writing, that wasn't really a possibility and she, she defied the odds. And now in a time like this, you know, I think we we should all remember that mm. <laughs> you can still be cultural pioneers in you know, oh, this day and age. What I found interesting about you know the you were talking about there are grey areas, mm. and I felt that she was constantly battling with like her principles and her desire, and they often clashed. And there was a scene in it with the painting, the nightmare by 
Her Mother's Lover, Fuseli, Henry Fuseli. Mm. Um, I love that painting, by the way. Same. And that's my favourite scene in the film. When they're discussing love and, um, yeah, how, you know, she was saying about her mother, like, how strong she was, but she was also really vulnerable in love. And I, I think for people that identify themselves as feminists, sometimes there's this conflict um, of, you know, you have to do what is meant to be feminist, but then you've also got your personal desires that conflict with that. And I thought Elle Fanning really portrayed that well. There's a scene where she meets Harriet, Percy's wife, and um, you can see that she's a bit conflicted within herself. Like, you know, I've got this woman in front of me who wants me to sort of get out the way. Yeah, she doesn't know whether to go with him or... I thought that was really interesting. Well, I think I think that, yeah, you're right. And one one train of thought would be that she should step aside because she she shouldn't be kind of ruining somebody else's life. But the other train of thought is why not follow her own kind of desires and instincts? Why kind yeah. of repress herself in yeah. order to appease somebody else, which is the whole kind mm. of idea of, mm. of what Almanzar is trying to get across. She, yeah. Yeah. A total lack of repression in society is a good thing. Um, and But yeah, they are they are conflicting. You're absolutely right. They are conflicting and it's a kind of very moral grey area. Um, and I think that that's why the film works as a character piece. Um, and that's why it takes so long for us to get into the Frankenstein stuff because mm. we don't, we don't want to just know where Frankenstein came from um, and the genesis of that one story. We want to see before this and ha- like the whole point leading up to Mary Shelley wanting to write a novel uh, just that it doesn't even need to be Frankenstein why does she want to write a novel why does she want to make a name for herself and that first hour of the film I think is really necessary to, yeah. to bring that mm. to, you know, bring that to the fore well, the other character I wanted to talk about that I really liked actually was uh, Claire Claremont Belle Powley mm. and I think Belle Powley is having a really interesting career after uh, Diary of a Teenage Girl uh, but I thought her character gave something really uh, interesting dynamic to this kind of... Because for a while, this, they're kind of a trio, aren't they? Mm. Um, and I think she has a different energy to everyone else in the film. Well, you can tell that she's not from two radical thinkers. Like, her yeah. mum is conventional and she um, is kind of thrown into this world with people that have been more educated than she has and she's sort of just riding the wave of hedonism like she's drinking a lot um she's very impressed by byron Mm. and um likes his attention um but you can see that she doesn't quite have the same strength that mary shelley has to deal with these kinds of uh, philandering men (laughs) excellent yeah I i think she's a she's a a strange actress I think I think she's got something about her for sure. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's an odd role I think for for somebody to play to play kind of second fiddle to a character like Mary Shelley, um, and someone that you're kind of suspicious of all for, the time. Yeah. yeah. That the way that that she was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they were most definitely lo- lovers. Apparently, Percy Shelley. Yeah. And Claire. That was um, alluded to. Yeah. Yeah. And also, uh, Mary Shelley. Even though that happened, she still stuck by her sister and was there for her and mm. wasn't really jealous of, or at least appeared not to be jealous of that. I mean, mm. even after, you know, we only see her life from 16 to 18, but apparently, um, you know, they moved to Italy later on and Claire came mm. with her and, yeah. Mm. What a hanger on. Well, she does, doesn't she talk about <laughs> her mother wheel. living in a menage a trois? <laughs> yes. Uh, and yeah. I think she's kind of embraced that yeah. sort of... Free love, baby. Free love. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that the David Brent song in the office? Free love on the highway. 
They should have just had that playing over the end credits love, in this film, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, let's wrap up there then. Uh, any final thoughts on Mary Shelley? I think it's a great segue to her work and mm-hmm. um, this period in time. Can we just talk about the, uh, the 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 kind of notes at the end of the film that come up mm. and how many oh, of yeah. these people in the film died so young? Wow, yeah. everyone. Yeah, yeah. All the I mean, babies died. that died. All the babies Jeez, and yeah. the sister. No one lives past thirty. Shame. I mean, I think Mary lived past. Was the only she one to live past thirty. Fifty-three. Yeah. 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 Um, but then you look at someone like Percy Shelley, who's this big kind of figure in romantic literature, and he died at twenty-eight years old. Yeah. Drowning. How old I am now. Off the shore of Italy in a sailing boat. Yeah. 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 Suspicious. Byron died in Greece. Yeah. But also it shows how harsh this period was to live through. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Had so much to contend with. And no wonder she actually wrote a story like Frankenstein at 18 when she had like in those two years, she really had to grow up. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Or, and surrounded by death. I think, yeah. that's, what, I think that's, that's really important to note is that um, you, you had a very, you had a smaller period of time to make your mark on the world back then. And I think Mary Shelley really knew that and took advantage of that and like powered through this incredibly like frustrating period of her life from 16 to 18 where she made some, honestly, radical, crazy choices mm-hmm. as a human being yeah. Yeah. to run away from home, to join with this guy she kind of barely knew and who was uh, very liberal and kind of radical thinking mm. um, and she ran off at 16 years old and still managed to create one of the great kind of works of literature it's an incredible story and I think the film does do it justice in a way mm. absolutely so that's Mary Shelley which is out in cinemas and on Curzon Home Cinema today also on Curzon Home Cinema My Friend Dharma is now available to watch as well as Western and a film we discussed a few weeks ago In the Fade you can still catch that on Curzon Home Cinema uh, and we actually have an email response about In the Fade. Did okay. you send this email, Amy? <laughs> no, I didn't, actually. <laughs> so this is from Gerard Corvin. He says, Emotionally, the film is on point and never felt like it was playing just for melodrama. But ultimately, why does the film need to exist? <laughs> okay, unfair question. <laughs> but the state of nation feel that Aiken brings to, albeit subtly, seems to ask... For such urgency, my issue was, where was the risk? We have a protagonist who is relatable for EU and US audiences. She is us rather than them, grappling with an evil, an evil that comes from within. Nazism is something we can all condemn without the social and cultural problemizations that exist, especially for liberal-minded folk, of which I include myself, around other forms of terrorism that besets the world. The film does much to rile us with the limitations of justice, such that by the third act, we were willing Kruger, the Kruger character to mete out venge- to revenge. I really can't read it, I'm sorry. <laughs> now I get the thing that he said. What uh, was the thing he said about was, the title? It was all too easy, I thought. I also don't think the film really delivered on demonstrating inbuilt unconscious racism on part of investigating authorities and society more widely. I would like to have seen more of that and less of seeing the Nazis pay. So in all, it's a fine courtroom thriller, but not much more than that. Also, the title makes no sense. She is in a state of transition, so it ought to be into the fade. That gave me silver linings, playbook levels of irritation from <laughs> Gerard Corbin. Can, Sorry, I butchered your email, Gerard. Can I just come type, back can to Can I say Gerard? the typeface is really small on my laptop? <laughs> I'm really trying to read it behind the, over the mic. Uh, yeah. Amy, I feel like you've... Yeah, got Amy's been like bouncing is, with the worming right now. Yeah. Well, I just think Gerard is maybe thinking too much from his own perspective there, you know? That's just assuming that everyone like him is watching this 
with the same viewpoints. Mm. And uh, also the, the title, maybe he didn't listen to our last podcast because... You know, it came from the song by Queens of Stone Age, and he would have known that. <laughs> if he had a and did you guys hear what Fatty Ekin's next project is going to be? Stephen King's Firestarter. Oh, cool. Mm. Yeah. Which is a really interesting That's a really good book. To choose. It's a great yeah. book. Film um, Drew Barrymore. Yeah, very Cronenbergian yeah. as well. Um, I feel a lot of yeah. that kind of stuff. So it should be interesting because it's obviously it's about a young girl as well with. <laughs> Fire powers. She's a fire starter. She's a, oh. she's a twisted fire starter. Fire starter. <laughs> she certainly is. Well, I'm a big fan of Atkin now. So. Yeah, well, there yeah. you go. I think this is going to be a really interesting project. I think that's going to be very Stranger Thingsy. I hope not. <laughs> I said that to annoy you. <laughs> <laughs> no Stranger Things? You like Spielberg? No, I've not like heard this. No. You like Poltergeist? <laughs> no, isn't that set in the 80s? Uh, I believe it is set in the 1980s. Oh, wow. I, 80 I wouldn't have years got that. after 1900. I really wouldn't have got that. Do you know kids had bikes in the <laughs> 80s? And they <laughs> and they liked popular culture. No time. way. Yeah. No, you're kidding me. Familiar with Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> if you have any thoughts on Mary Shelley or any other recent releases, do let us know by emailing podcast at curzon.com for next week's show. Uh as ever, you can find us on iTunes and Acast every week and subscribe, leave a review and a comment. And that is it from me. It's goodbye from Stephen. Bye-bye. Bye from Amy. Bye. And bye from Kelly. Bye. Thank you very much and see you next week. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.